This morning I'm going to talk about Haiti, the church, and the sovereignty of God. I wonder when the last time all of us woke up in the morning with the deeply profound reality on our hearts. There's something terribly wrong with the world around us. Just, just think about the last week in your life. Think about all the meals you ate, all the shows you had to watch on TV, all the relaxing you were able to do, all the games you played and the movies you watched, all the shopping you did, and all the heating and air that you enjoyed. We go through life with relative ease. While 40% of this earth's existence lives on less than $2 a day. Their greatest concern is not whether or not they missed their favorite TV show. But wondering what their next meal is going to be. When it rains, they don't wonder whether or not they remember to roll the windows up in their car, but whether or not everything they own is going to wash away. The average North American citizen enjoys a life and a standard of living that has been unimaginable to mankind throughout the history of the world. And as a result, we have an incredible responsibility. The Bible says, to him who much is given, much is required. All throughout the scripture, God commands his people to care for the poor and the oppressed, orphans, widows, there's a few examples. Micah 6 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? 1 John 3 17 says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Zechariah 7, 8 through 10. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So we have to ask, how, how are we doing? As individuals, how are we doing as a church? This, this morning's a little different. Uh, I'm not going to have an expository sermon, um, so this isn't normal. <laughs> I don't usually cry. <laughs> but I do think it's important that we focus on what we were able to experience because many of you supported us and made it able for us to go. So I'm going to break into three sections. First, I'm going to talk a little bit about Haiti. 
I'm going to talk about the church, and then I'm going to talk about God's sovereignty. First, Haiti. Before the earthquake, before January 12th, 75% of Haiti lived on less than $2 a day. And of that 75%, 50% of them lived on less than $1 a day. $30 a month. 4% of the Haitian population owned 66% of the wealth. That's the second highest income disparity in the world. Half of their population has no access to drinkable water. And greater than 50% of the population is completely illiterate. They have the highest rate of HIV AIDS outside of sub-Saharan Africa. One third of the women have been violently sexually abused. And Haiti currently has the highest rate of child abuse and human sex slave trafficking in the entire world. It's a very dark and broken place. So what is poverty? In a book called Walking with the Poor, Bryant Myers said, Poverty is a result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. And this is important how we define poverty because the way we define it tells us what our proposed solutions to it will be. So, for example, if we think that poverty is a lack of knowledge, then our solution is going to be more education. If we think it's oppression, then we turn to social justice. Or if it's a lack of material wealth, then our answer is to provide more material wealth. But true poverty is rooted in broken relationships. So who are the poor? We are. We're all poor because we all have broken relationships. And this is crucial to understand if we desire to help Haiti or anyone else for that matter. Because if not, then we will do more harm than good. To look at those who do not have what we have or do not live at a standard of life that we live at, we must see them to be just like us. Sinners like us. A people who needs Jesus like us. Because those who are materially poor in this world are not a project. It's not the strong coming to the weak and putting them in our debt. It's the ministry of reconciliation. If you'd like, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are called to a ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ Moving people, including ourselves, closer to glorifying God by living in a right relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the rest of creation. Because God is calling all of this back onto Himself, that it will one day be restored to total perfection as it was created in the beginning. And so the good, the good life here on this earth, does not mean that we have more material wealth. The goal for Port-au-Prince does not mean that Port-au-Prince becomes Atlanta. But that Port-au-Prince and Atlanta look more like the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Reconciled back to God. So why are these relationships broken? Two reasons. First, individual sin. We need not look any further than our hearts to understand the complete and total depravity of man. And because of this depravity, because of our desire and our longing for sin because we have a want to chase after evil things in this life, as a result of the fall of mankind, we have a flawed worldview. We think too highly of ourselves and too little of others. We have little concern for the creation and for God. And as far as individual sin is concerned in the nation of Haiti... Voodoo is a major factor. 50% of the Haitian population professes to be practicing voodoo. The second reason relationships are broken is because of broken systems, locally, nationally, and internationally. And these are things that those who are materially poor have very little control over. Let me give you a few examples from Haiti internationally. The nation of Haiti was begun as a slave colony, colonized by the Spaniards and the French. For 60 years, the U.S. had a trade embargo post their independence in 1804. Haiti was forced to pay $22 billion in reparations to France. In the early 1900s, the U.S., Occupied Haiti, killing 11,500 citizens. 
During the Cold War, the United States supported a ruthless dictator named Baby Doc. In 1978, the United States insisted on eradicating Haitian pigs because of a swine fever, and it completely destroyed many local peasants' economic gain. And unfortunately, Haiti has received incredibly large amounts of financial aid from the U.S. government and a large number of short-term missionaries of various stripes. And all of these things have undermined Haitian initiatives at the local level. Nationally, Haiti is recognized as one of the top two most corrupt governments in the whole entire world. Nine of the last 54 presidents have been able to serve their entire six-year term. They have a predatory government, and the rich class oppresses the poor for their own gain, their own power, and their own wealth. And so we see individual sins of citizens combining with broken uh, broken systems And that means there are broken relationships for Haiti's poor. And we saw this firsthand. We saw extreme poverty. But we also saw extreme wealth. We saw a complete and total dependence on outside sources because it is a people who have for so long dwelled in individual sin and broken systems that much of the world's answer has been to give them money. And so we saw people who, after the earthquake, simply quit their jobs because they knew no longer would they need to provide for themselves or their families, but it would be given to them. And the rich of the country are continuing to gain wealth because the money and resources are given indiscriminately for them to distribute. We met individuals using a tragedy for self-gain. We met one man who calls himself a pastor and owns four homes, none of which was smaller than about 4,000 square feet. He wielded incredible power in his community. He had many people surrounding him, drivers, bodyguards, all in the midst of a nation that lives predominantly on less than $2 a day. So really, what the earthquake did was simply take a very terrible situation that already existed and made it much worse. Worse living conditions. Showing that the world's way of assistance is simply to provide money. And a greater portrayal of this idea now that the strong come in to save the day for the weak because we have a flawed understanding of poverty. And now we see greater hopelessness and greater despair. So let's talk about the church. 
soon after we arrived in Haiti, it became very, very obvious to us that one of the most broken relationships of the vast majority of the people is their relationship with God. In 2003, voodoo was recognized as the official religion of Haiti. This is a combination there of the practices of the occult, dealing with sacrifices and satanic worship, mixed with the religion of their former slave owners, which was Catholicism. And as I said, approximately 50% of Haiti practices voodoo, but the vast majority of them claim to be Christians. I can't tell you how many times I spoke with individuals and asked them if they were followers of Christ. And they said yes, and I would ask them, why do you believe that you are a follower of Christ? And their response would most often be, in Haiti, everyone is a Christian. Why do they believe that? Well, there are more American missions or missionaries per capita in Haiti than any other country in the world. And predominantly, they're from traditions of Pentecostalism, Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventist, a lot of mysticism and broad evangelicalism. And the people of Haiti take what they like from each of these traditions and they mix them all together. And these various teachings develop a very odd, unbiblical worldview and religion that they've created for themselves. And so as we spoke with people, we consistently heard of a God who was a supreme creator, but that was very distant and unapproachable. We heard people speaking of being in high levels of transitory prayer. And that there were capricious spirits that ruled the material world and must be appeased. And many, many, many times I called people to repent and believe the gospel. And their response was simply, I believe, but I will not repent. Many men who call themselves pastors in Haiti lack any training. They're self-appointed and they use their position for personal gain and wealth. And you can see references to God. You can see references to Jesus everywhere. Their barbershops, their clinics, their grocery stores, everything has a reference to God. And so, more so than their darkened state, I think this is very telling of the American church. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes to young Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. How dare 
We walk around as a nation in this world with spiritual arrogance when the result of our religious export is a false gospel that says God is okay with our sin, that material wealth is our goal, and that a lack of faith is our cause of suffering. Woe to all of those who participate in the furthering of the damnation of an oppressed people by delivering a false assurance of a false gospel. Haiti needs the gospel. Her greatest need is the gospel and only hope. The true church in Haiti needs help. Pastoral training, a location to gather and do ministry, assistance in distributing resources to the poorest of poor who rarely have food to eat and water to drink. the long-term success and the possibility of a new Haiti rests solely on whether or not God is pleased to make this happen and His people are faithful to be a means to this end in the church. The easiest and most immediate response is that we provide medical care, food, the rebuilding of churches and security. And in the aftermath of any tragedy, these things are very important. And probably as a result of all that has happened has to be provided by outside sources. But those things need to happen as quickly as possible and turned over to a people who are indigenous to that location. And so... Already I've heard a lot of questions of what, what do we do? How do we continue to be involved? What is the greatest need? Well, our focus must be the church in Haiti. And I commend our friends in two churches in the Dominican Republic for this. There's a group of men who go to Haiti on Monday morning, drive 12 to 14 hours to get to where they're going. They serve until Friday or Saturday. They drive back home, lead their congregations in worship on Sunday, and return again on Monday morning. What are they doing? They're seeking to find 10 or 20 pastors that they can bring to train for nine months to teach them true doctrine, to teach them the Bible, that they would know what the Scriptures teach of the Gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ. And to help them understand a biblical foundation that the church would flourish. And so everything they're doing is church-based and church-focused because the local church is God's plan for the nations. So this is how we do Micah 6.8 in Haiti. We use discernment. We focus on the church. We pray for those who are there and we go and assist when we can. Because in the end, Haiti will not change unless the hearts of Haitians are changed. Poverty, corruption, hopelessness, despair, 
These are all issues of the heart. And the only response is the Gospel. So, what of the sovereignty of God? Is the devastation in Haiti outside of God's sovereignty? Remember, in our own country, after 9-11 and right after Hurricane Katrina, there were a lot of evangelicals who were, who were quick to get on the airwaves and to run this rescue operation to get God off the hook by essentially denying His sovereignty in calamity. Look, we need not look very far to see that this world is fallen and broken. But is our, is our default view of God as a loving and gracious creator and sustainer void of the reality that God controls all things? Unlike religions, unlike philosophies, Christianity looks at human suffering realistically and honestly and acknowledges the pain and torment that accompanies great loss and sudden surprise. Go with me to to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, starting in verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than, any, than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, here Jesus is not allowing the Jews to shift the blame. He would not allow them to make claims regarding the sins of other people without forcing them to look at their own sin. Yes, the Bible says in Romans 12 to weep with those who weep. But it also says here in Luke, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. We, we all understand that history is moving closer and closer to a pinnacle point, to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign with all evil held firmly under His sovereign foot. And there is a day coming when He will reveal His full reign in righteousness and all who do not submit to Him will be crushed. And oh, how we long and pray for that day with the apostles. Come, Lord Jesus. 
But we must not ignore what Jesus commands here. We must not look with little regard with what He has told us. Namely, repent. That is the point of every deadly disaster, tragedy, calamity. Repent. Let our own hearts be broken that God means so little to us in our daily lives. Grieve that He is questioned and doubted in times of pain and rarely praised in times of pleasure. Weep when He makes headlines only when man mocks His power, but no headlines for 10,000 days of wrath withheld. Let us fall on our faces and repent that we love life more than we love Jesus. Let us cast ourselves on the mercy of our Maker. Pleasure in this life is God saying, I am like this thing only a million times better. Don't make an idol out of your pleasures. It's only pointing to me. Pain in this life is God saying, what sin deserves is like this pain only a million times worse. Don't take offense at me. I am mercifully warning you. God's design in pain and suffering and trial and failure and tragedy is our repentance. Don't put God on trial. You and I are on trial. And repentance is a good place to be. The key to understanding Jesus' instruction is contained in the last few words of His explanation. Unless you will repent, you will all likewise perish. And when Jesus said they would all likewise perish, He did not mean that a a tower would fall on them or that they would have their blood mixed with sacrifices. He meant that they would die without being prepared. And for most people, death comes unexpectedly. At the same time that an earthquake was shaking the ground in Haiti and bringing massive structures to the ground, trapping and killing thousands of people, there were also teenagers dying in car accidents, stray bullets hitting bystanders in drive-by shootings, farmers being caught in their equipment and torn to shreds, old women losing their lives to druggies who won her social security check. Or an old man simply not waking from his sleep. Death comes unexpectedly. Thousands die every day in this world. From the AIDS epidemic, because of genocide in places like Darfur, Thousands upon thousands of unborn children are murdered with forceps and a vacuum cleaner hose every single year at the hands of American doctors. We're called to repent. And Jesus told us that when we become witnesses 
to the unexpected death of others to whom we are not personally ministering, our response is not to gawk, not to make philosophical, sociological, or psychological arguments of what has happened or how it could have been different or how it could have been prevented. Jesus said, point blank, it is time for personal reflection and repentance. And over the last several years, we've been presented with many opportunities to do exactly what Jesus tells us to do, yet many of us have simply ignored Him. So as individuals and as a church, will we listen this time? Luke 6, 46-49 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. The paths that lie before us in this life are no doubt full of atrocities and eventually our own death. So how do we make sense of suffering in the midst of it? We acknowledge that God has permitted a great outbreak of sin against His revealed will. And we do not know all the reasons why He would permit such a thing now. Especially when we know it's in with, with, within, within His power to stop it. But Romans eleven thirty three through 36 declares, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him as though He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Glory be to Him forever. And so we simply weep with those who weep and recognize, as the New Testament is not afraid to proclaim, that each and every one of us is dominated by sin. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin or has been set free by God to live a life of righteousness. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Either we are for the God who is the Father of Jesus Christ, or we are against Him. There's no middle state. Each of us is either a child of the light or a child of darkness. We are all children of Adam and ever since the fall are fixed on evil. So we are given one option at the words of Jesus. Repent. Mourn. Weep. Offer prayers for comfort and for hope and for strength. But most importantly, repent. 
And I hope that in our repentance, others might be helped to love people and honor Christ in the dark and heavy moments of shaking and weeping and hopelessness. We must hold out the promise that God will sustain and help those who cast themselves on Him for mercy and trust in His grace. He will strengthen His children for the impossible days ahead in spite of what seems to be complete and total darkness. He says Himself in Isaiah 41, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Hades' only hope, our only hope, is Jesus. God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. Have you? In this time, for His purposes, God has turned our focus to the people of Haiti. So what shall we do? First and foremost, we must repent, lest we likewise perish. We must pray that God would use His people, that He would raise up a faithful church led by faithful men who are proclaiming the true gospel of Christ, as He calls the elect unto himself from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. We must continue to discerningly give to ministries focused on the gospel. And we must be not hearers only, but doers of the law. So when possible, we must go. And I think one of the great challenges facing us in maybe a year or so to come is the challenge of adoption. It is estimated now that there will be between 750,000 to 1 million orphans in the nation of Haiti. They're still trying to figure out whose parents are alive and where they are. And while adoption in the nation of Haiti is quite difficult right now, the State Department is working with them to hopefully make their standards a little easier. In the book of James, he tells us true religion is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. It doesn't simply mean that we show up like I did and spend an hour with them and play with them and sing with them. It means that we understand the reality of our vertical adoption in Christ Jesus. That He has called us from darkness into light, into His family as sons and daughters of God. And that we show that mercy and that love in horizontal adoption. 
granting forever families to children who otherwise would never have any hope. We must feel the weight of this challenge to provide for those in need. Because if the church doesn't rise up to provide life, to provide hope, to provide homes, who will? Surely many celebrities in Hollywood would love to be able to say that they brought home five children from Haiti. Are they better off in a home in America simply because it's here and yet has no gospel? What shall the church do? We must consider all that we have, all that we possess, all that we hold on to, and we must sacrificially give of ourselves in ways that we never even imagined. Adoption's not just for people who can't have children biologically. Adoption is for Christians. I pray that we would all consider that heavily. And lastly, I want to share, as we were riding on a bus from the Dominican Republic into Haiti, right behind us was sitting a reporter and his photojournalist. And everyone else on the bus was Haitian. And we talked a little bit, and then he asked me, why would you do such a thing? And my response, which completely ended our conversation, (laughs) was in His mercy and love, God has rescued me from His wrath through Jesus Christ. How could I not show mercy to others? How could I not give of my life to show the mercy of God to others? Let us be compelled by the gospel to be doers of justice and mercy for God's glory and for the joy of his people that he would use us as a great means to his end to call the nations unto himself for his glory forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for reminders in this life that you are great, that you are good, that you are sovereign, that you are God and there is no other, that you are faithful and just and that you are a God of mercy. Father, compel us by the mercy you have shown us to go and do likewise. 
to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and to do so with the great joy of proclaiming the gospel and calling all men everywhere to repent and believe. Father, remind us of the words of the Apostle Paul that we can give everything that we have. We can give our bodies to be burned, but if we have not love, we give nothing. Father, help us to give of ourselves with love and compassion and joy in Christ. Help us to take inventory of our lives and to repent that we have thought so highly of ourselves and so little of others. Help us, God, to give of our lives that we might see the multitudes come to Christ. Father, we pray for the church in Haiti that you would raise up men to faithfully proclaim the gospel to faithfully shepherd a people who are lost and confused. And Father, we repent. We repent for sitting back and watching a false gospel be exported from our nation to further condemn the poor and oppressed. Father, we pray that you would remove the false teaching from that place. That you would remove false teachers from in their midst. And that you would deliver the truth of your word to a people whose only hope is Christ, just like us. Let us love you and hope in you with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength forevermore. You are good and gracious and we love you. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.